Hey guys, it's me, P. And me, S. And you're listening to the Girl on Girl podcast. But it's not what you think. But also, it's kind of what you think. Okay, here's the deal. My name is Persis. I'm queer, Indian, femme, and a little over five feet tall. And my name is Sarah. I'm straight, white, cis, and a proud ginger. Every episode, we're going to talk about sexuality from a queer perspective, from a straight perspective, and what it means to find the fluidity between the two. We're going to talk about taboos, labels, dating, awkward moments, pop culture icons. We're also going to talk safe sex, self-discovery, discrimination, and what it means to be a queer minority. Persis, Abraham, you're back, baby. I am back. I took a little, well, I didn't take a break. I actually had a little bit of a conflict. You had a conflict for this episode. So I did the interview, just me, myself, and I, and it was kind of weird. I, um, it was a great interview because she was an amazing guest and we're going to talk about her in one second, but doing it all alone without you felt kind of wrong. It felt like your other half was missing, the other part of you. I don't know. There were so many things that were said where I was like, Persis would have an interesting point of view here, or it would be, it would be great to see what Persis would think about this or say about this or what questions she would ask. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't, um, <laughs> Sarah's speechless. I'm um, speechless. My I never see her like this. I don't know. All I'm saying is I was lonely without you. But let me tell you who I talked to and set up this interview because this is going to be it's going to be exciting because you can listen to it at the same time that like the the listeners can listen to it, you know what I'm saying? And like learn along with them because you weren't part of the convo. Well, to be fair, Sarah, I I am edit. <laughs> I know <laughs> I I'm, edit the convo. People so. don't need to know the behind the scenes. I'm trying to like I'm trying to be sneaky. Yeah, guys, see, Sarah is really sneaky, and I'm going to call her out for that because... I lied. I I just lied to the people. She lied. I listened to the interview. (laughs) Well, then, you'll know everything, so I don't even need to set it up. (laughs) This is so stupid. Purse, today we talked to the incredible, the one and only, Yasmin Benoit. Yasmin is a British model and award-winning asexual activist. She's the founder of UK's first asexual rights initiative. Cosmopolitan magazine called her the unlikely face of asexuality. Wow. Shout out from Cosmo. Um, Damn. Shout out from Cosmo. Yeah, she's been featured in tons of really notable publications and she's been on covers of magazines. She is such a badass and she is really trying to change the conception of what asexuality looks like. She's actually started this hashtag, this is what asexual looks like. It's a movement online for diverse asexual visibility and representation. She also co-founded the International Asexuality Day, which is April 6th, only two days before my birthday. Wow. Go Yasmin. Yeah, but she is doing some incredible work to not only compile research on asexuality the asexual experience and also challenges that asexual people face, but also use that research to then create change and actually put legislation into place. Because guys, a lot of places around the world, including in the UK, 
asexuality isn't recognized as a sexual orientation and therefore it's it's not protected under the same equality rights that lesbian might be or gay or bi and so there are a lot of implications to asexual people real implications in healthcare in their careers in their personal lives that there's no legislation to protect them i didn't really realize that um personally and so Yasmin is super knowledgeable about it. She educated me and she's going to educate all of you too in case you don't know much about the asexual experience and the real um, challenges that asexual people face and will continue to face until change happens. It's so sad to even think that it wasn't recognized as an orientation or it isn't. Yeah, it's kind of shocking um, because like Yasmin tells us in this interview, asexuality has been around forever. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess we should also say, just before we hop into the episode, Yasmin gives us a description of what asexual means. But just so you, just so everyone knows, asexual means that you don't experience sexual attraction towards anybody regardless of their gender. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a part of the queer umbrella. It's a part of the queer experience. But it's one that isn't talked about as much and there's a lot of misconceptions around it so we asked Yasmin all the questions Yasmin cleared up a lot of stuff for us and yeah gave us um, a lot of learnings that we can take away on how to become better ace allies so we're really excited for you all to listen because we've been wanting to have someone who identifies as asexual on the pod for a long time and Yasmin could I, I couldn't imagine anyone better than Yasmin she's so passionate about the topic and um about ace rights yeah we're so grateful that yasmin joined girl on girl and i'm sorry i could not be a part of that lovely interview but yasmin i do hope to meet you someday and i'm sorry that i couldn't meet you but i wish i could she was she was super torn up about it (laughs) yeah she was she was upset she was so upset she almost left the interview but then kept going just kidding obviously guys she's a professional she was lovely and professional um i just stumbled through the interview so enjoy me stumbling and enjoy yasmin speaking very eloquently about asexuality aromanticism and how we can all be better ace allies Hi, Yasmin. Welcome, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so happy you're here. So I'm Sarah. Typically, I have a co-host with me named Persis. You probably know based on like our conversations that we've been having. But based on the time difference, unfortunately, Purse had a really important work presentation that she couldn't miss. So she's super sad she had to miss this conversation. She says hi. She wishes she was here. But it's okay because I'm here. It's you and me. We're going to have a great combo, and we're just so grateful that you're taking the time to talk to us. We are super excited to talk to you. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We've talked about asexuality on the pod many times, but to be totally honest, every time we talk about it, we also are pretty direct about how it's a bit of a blind spot for us. Um And we've been really wanting to have someone who identifies as asexual on the podcast to talk about their experience and also teach us a little bit more because it seems like maybe something that's misunderstood a lot in the queer community um, and maybe a bit of a question mark for some people. We would love for that to change. So we're really excited to just kind of like learn all of us together. 
Yeah, that sounds good. It's a, I like the premise of, you know, kind of inter-community conversations in that sense. Yeah, allyship and also just like making sure that everyone feels comfortable asking questions and learning because the more we learn, the better we kind of like understand ourselves and the better we understand each other. So that's all we're trying to do. Why don't we just like dive right in for anyone who doesn't know who you are or has never heard of you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your pronouns and how you identify? Yeah, my name is Yasmin Benoit. My pronouns are she, her. I'm aromantic and asexual, and I'm a model, activist, writer, speaker, researcher, and consultant. No biggie. Do you feel like you give that <laughs> elevator pitch of yourself a lot? I feel like you had that down pat. <laughs> you were ready. <laughs> I do get that. Yes, I do do that a lot. <laughs> You're like, I'm ready to introduce myself. Just ask away. <laughs> So do you remember the first time you realized you were asexual? We like to ask our guests who come on, was there any sort of like aha light bulb moment for you? Um, I mean, it wasn't so much of a light bulb moment. So I feel like it's more of a lack of light bulb moments where after a while you're kind of like, okay, I feel like I should have had some light bulb moments by now about like which way I should be swinging or like what I'm interested in and yeah, I just kind of never really had those. And I think it doesn't really become obvious until the people around you start like expressing, you know, their interests. And that's when you're kind of like, okay, I assume this will kick in for me at some point, but it doesn't. And then other people then start asking you, so why, why aren't you interested in anything? And then that's when you kind of have to start doing the self-analysis. So I always say I realized I was asexual when everyone else realized that they weren't, which is like 11-ish. <laughs> right. But I didn't discover like the terminology until I was about 15, which I guess is still comparatively young. For sure. Between the ages of 11-ish to 15, before you discovered that there was terminology, were you frustrated or confused or like what were you battling anything internally or were you just kind of coasting with it? Um, I mean, it was weird because like I wasn't bothered by it. Like I assumed it would kick in for me. It wasn't something I was going to encourage because it just seemed like effort. Like I didn't feel like I was missing anything right. significant or fun or important. But it kind of isn't until other people then start being like, okay, well, this is a problem. Like you should be interested in something. Like what's wrong with you? Like do some self-analysis. And that's when it kind of it became more of a oh god should I be worried about this because I was just happily enjoying what just felt like an extended like adolescence of just you know not caring about that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah still being like very much a kid like I was like I just want to play video games and do all that like I don't care about dating or anything yeah like I was just still very much like in that kind of mindset and so yeah it wasn't until other people kind of started projecting their ideas where it kind of became like okay there's like more weight on this than I anticipated and I guess I'm gonna have to be concerned about it and yeah. start working out why I'm like this but inherently I wasn't actually bothered totally did how did you discover the terminology I mean it was kind of like the tumblr era mm -hmm. I, well, actually well it's funny because i hear people now they say that the tumblr like peak era was like 2012 2014 so but i was th this was kind of actually like 2010 so maybe it was like pre-peak tumblr era i don't know but it was still a popular site to be on yeah i wasn't on it but people around me were on it and it was kind of cool to have like a kind of you know to not be straight and have like labels and like social justice warrior was like a term that people were starting to use and like that whole thing was kind of becoming more popular um 
And so was everyone's intrigue and what my sexual orientation was. And I would get quizzed on it every single day. And then eventually, so I was like, oh, maybe you're asexual or something. And I was like, oh, okay, let me Google it. And then I did. And I was like, "Hmm, yeah, sounds about right. (laughs) But, and that was kind of it. I was just like, yeah, that sounds true. But I was also like, how do I know this orientation wasn't just made up on Tumblr? So I'm not exactly (laughs) going to run around screaming about it because... I mean, what is the evidence that this wasn't something that, that some kids in America just made up? So I wasn't like, you know, yelling about it off the rooftops, but I was yeah. like, okay, I feel like I, this is most likely the answer, but who knows? Yeah. Did it feel good? Like, did that, was that a good feeling or cause you, it seems like you were pretty comfortable the way you're talking about it. It seems like you were very comfortable with yourself. You were like, yeah, could be this. This seems right. No biggie. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. I feel like it would have been helpful if I was the kind of person that was more worried and it would have been helpful if I was actually able to use the terminology, but I wasn't. So even though I had the answer to the question, no one accepted the answer to the question anyway. So interesting. it's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I was like, okay, now I know. So when people say, what's your sexual orientation? I go, I'm asexual. And then they go, no, you're not. And I'm like, oh, Okay. I don't know where where we go from here. So that was kind of like the end of the. That was the end of the road. Like no one be- no one believed me anyway. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I don't know what to do with this. So I wasn't able to use it. So I just kind of had to go back to doing what I was doing before, which was dodging the conversation. And I did that like until I was in university. Wow. So. <laughs> do you feel? Did you have like a coming out moment? Do you feel well, like was there someone who you sat down with for the first time and you were like, hey, I might be asexual, even though they might have said. I don't know what that is or that's wrong. I mean, I had that moment like a hundred times because people were always asking me. I don't know. I, I went to an old girls school. So I don't know. People were very like interested in, yep. which was the complete opposite of my theory. I went to an old girls school thinking that if there were no boys and no one would care about sex or dating, which was a dumb idea. It was the absolute opposite. <laughs> the total and opposite. Like, <laughs> and then in that environment, it was so obvious that I wasn't like feeling the same way as everybody else Mm -hmm. and thus it was a question I got all the time and when I was able to answer I did answer honestly but it like never worked so I did have that conversation I had it quite a lot I just eventually I just kind of went back to like a don't ask don't tell thing and I just became really good at avoiding it like by the time I finished secondary school I just like went right back to not telling people this is such a unique experience I feel like literally every single guest we've had on the pod and we're on episode, I think we've had 80 conversations so far. Every single guest, when they've come out to someone or they've discovered the label they identify with, it's easy for that person to like understand what they're saying and for that to be a big moment for them and for them to continue their life within that label. But we've never had, we talked to someone who couldn't even have a coming out experience if they wanted to, which you, which you were trying to, you were trying to express it. That's very unique. Yeah, I always say it's like, I did I did come out. It just wasn't successful. I feel like, you know, we kind of, we conceptualize it as though you say it and then people accept the answer. And I feel like that would be a successful coming out. It's like, I was coming out. It came out all the time. It's just no one believed me. So it just right. didn't work. And so I was like, I've tried to. It didn't take me like 10 years because I wasn't trying to. <laughs> but after a while, you're just like, okay, this isn't working. Wow. That is so interesting. And, and to be honest, it sounds, it sounds frustrating. I don't know if you felt frustrated throughout that, like all of those years, but I, I feel like I would have been. I mean, I feel like the frustrating thing was that it wasn't that people wouldn't accept that asexuality was a thing. It's just that they didn't accept it for me. Like I was in a very queer friendly 
environment like there were like everyone like it was an all girls school everyone was kind of pretty by like, due to the absence of boys at least for the time and like we were going to I've been going to pride every year since I was like 14 so it was you know it was like it wasn't like people didn't know or didn't think it existed but they were like just not we don't picture black people as being asexual so you're, you're not if it was anyone else I'm pretty sure we would have bought it it was purely that every other explanation made more sense to them than the answer I was giving them and that was kind of the frustrating thing so it's like you'll literally come up with anything and that somehow makes more sense than what I'm telling you wow so that okay. was the annoying thing so you think it came down to race you think it was like because you're black you can't be asexual Oh yeah, yeah. I know it. I know that that was. It was like you don't. It's it's what you look like. They're like you don't look asexual. I was a very. I was getting sexualized a lot by that point in time, and like in hindsight, like looking back at the conversations that were happening around me, people always very focused on like my body. Like my nickname as a teenager was jailbait because no, <laughs> doesn't age well. That was one of my no, yeah. <laughs> Yasmin. It was that point in time you could get away with saying that. Totally, but, yeah, totally. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was like my nickname because it was like you have the body of someone older. Like that would be a very casual thing to say. I'm like a pedophile bait was kind of like the thing. So when you have those conversations happening and at the same time it was like, oh, well, I'm asexual. It's like everyone had already decided that like I appeared sexual off the basis of my body shape alone. So there was right. no way they were going to buy that. Right. And you are a femme presenting person. Persis had the same kind of issue growing up. She came out as bi, but because she was um, so femme presenting, a lot of people kind of basically didn't validate that for her they thought she's too pretty to like girls or something like that like it was very based in how she looked um and so she had a, a similar struggle I mean though for me I wasn't pretty so that wasn't uh, they definitely weren't thinking that because I was pretty I was not a pretty teenager it was it was more just uh <laughs> I find that extremely hard to believe but okay everyone's experience is their own experience you're literally a model no one <laughs> I, I wasn't then like no one that's true, ever that's true. said I was pretty I was not the pretty not the pretty kid people would stop and call my friends pretty and then be like you got a nice body oh. so <laughs> I was that kid so Man. yeah it wasn't because people thought I was too good looking it was just I don't know they just I was just sexualized so much based on my physique and it was purely body not face um right that it people just wouldn't buy it and it wasn't, it was an inclusive environment in terms of like sexualities, but like there wasn't like a huge black, there wasn't a lot of black girls like in that circle. So right. that was also playing a role. That's so interesting. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, this is probably a good time for us to talk about what asexuality is. And also if you wouldn't mind telling us a bit about what aromanticism is as well, because they are connected. Yeah. So being asexual means experiencing a lack of sexual attraction towards anyone regardless of their gender and being aromantic is experiencing a lack of romantic attraction towards anyone regardless of their gender so for me I don't experience sexual attraction towards anyone and because I don't experience romantic attraction don't experience romantic love don't date don't have boyfriends or girlfriends or they friends or anything and yeah so I just uh enjoy all the other aspects of life really right okay so you identify as both aromantic and asexual yeah do you find that it's common for people to identify as both or can they can they be very separate things? I mean, there's an overlap between the communities, but then there are people who are aromantic that aren't asexual and there are people who are asexual that aren't aromantic. I know a lot of asexual people who, you know, have romantic partners and still experience like 
that have those kinds of romantic interests. Mm-hmm. And I know of aromantic people that um, still experience sexual attraction. I guess people just don't really, it probably doesn't read as that. Like if you see someone that's still, you know, having sex and doing all of that, but they're just not interested in romantic relationships. I don't know if people always read that as aromanticism but mm. it can be um right they might read so it yeah. as like a, a fear of commitment or something like that yeah and similarly if you're asexual but you're still you know experiencing romantic attraction unless your asexuality is obvious if you're within that relationship then people don't always know what people do in the bedroom or don't do so again right. it, it might not be as obvious but but yeah so you can experience all those things either together or separately right and I think a question a lot of people have is that is if you're if you are asexual do you still have a sex drive is that possible or do you not really have a sex drive at all i mean some people do some people i mean there are some people that aren't asexual but don't have a sex drive for whatever reason and you can be asexual and still have one like i still have one it's just not directed at anybody right. it's probably the easiest way to think of it yeah no that actually does help that does help and what about masturbation and solo sex? Like, if so, you say that you do have a sex drive, but you identify as asexual. Does that mean that solo sex comes into play? Like, is that something that can be enjoyable if you're asexual? Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's different for everybody. Like, some people that aren't asexual don't really do that. And then some people that are asexual do that. Like, I do it. But um, yeah, so for me, that is something that I enjoy and that is like I always say that asexuality doesn't act literally mean no sexuality I know that the etymology of the word is literally that's kind of what it translates as but that's yeah. not actually what it means it's just the sexual attraction part and there are many other layers to sexuality aside from sexual attraction I feel like that's maybe where some of the misconception might come in is exactly what you just said asexual doesn't mean no sexuality at all yeah and I can understand why people think that because that's literally the translation of the word yeah. but that's not <laughs> but that isn't actually what it means <laughs> and so asexuality is a spectrum that includes a lot of other identities within it like gray sexual and demisexual um can you tell us a little bit more about that spectrum as a whole yeah I mean spectrum is kind of like the easiest way that people um kind of articulate it some people say like umbrella mm-hmm. um I prefer to think of it as more of like a pick and mix, which is, I don't know if that's something that they have in America. You know, when you like go to like, and you want to get some like sweets and they'll have like, here's the cola bottles, here's the gummy bears. And you like fill up a bag of like all the different. Yes. I don't know what you guys call that. I don't know what we call it either, but we absolutely have it. It's like I'm anyone in North America, I'm going to say candy bar, question mark. Candy bar might resonate, maybe. Mix and match candy bar. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that. I prefer to think of it more like that because when people think spectrum, they think it's like a sliding scale or it's like you're on one and you kind of are but right I think that it's kind of just like picking different elements or different degrees of different aspects rather than it being like a sliding scale from one to the other Got it. but when it kind of comes to like the other orientations that fall under it gray asexual is literally like gray area between asexual and not asexual mm-hmm. um so people so kind of like I experience sexual attraction but very not often would be kind of how that's articulated and then demisexualists might only experience sexual attraction towards someone that they experience a strong emotional connection with that doesn't mean every person that they experience a strong emotional connection with but that would have to be like a qualifier for that to even potentially happen but I feel like but then you know people interpret things their own way so there are some people that interpret the sliding scale and they might be like way on one end of the sliding scale and they see it as something else compared to another person but those are kind of like the most widely accepted definitely. it's so nuanced 
I feel like this part of the the queer umbrella is like your sexuality is so unique to you. It's so it's so um it's something that is so internal and um no one else can understand your sexuality more than you can. And I do understand what you mean about the pick and mix, right? Like some days maybe you do feel a little bit more demisexual than other days. Maybe some days is it's I'm asexual. Like it can be it can be kind of like an evolving thing. I mean, I think for me, when I kind of think pick and mix, I think it's more like, it's not even like, oh, I'm kind of demisexual today, kind of not. It's more like, okay, there might be one asexual person that takes all of the romantic attraction gummy bears because they're still experiencing that. But then they take none of the sexual attraction cola bottles, but then they do take some of the, uh, um, the libido gummy rings because they've got a lot of that, but then they don't want to take any of the, um, any of the, I don't know, sexual material cola bottles or like, you know, you can kind of like, it's kind of like that and it's in this which is again I understand why that doesn't catch on because that's a lot harder to explain but I feel like that kind of encompasses it better because like if I was to put myself on a sliding scale like people like well doesn't experience sexual attraction so very asexual but pretty high libido so where would that go but I'm so I feel like it's not easy to encompass it within a sliding scale because that's not really like sexual attraction isn't the only basis of every part of sexuality. Right. So, okay. It's, yeah. Thank but that's you. just me overcomplicating it. So now the audience is going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? But <laughs> for me, I just feel like, you know, the sliding scale is like easier to say, but it's not, it doesn't really articulate all the things that much. No, to- <laughs> thank you so much for explaining that pick and mix um, concept a little bit further because I think I was misunderstanding it. And now I totally understand what you mean. And I think that was a, that really helped. So thank you. (laughs) Okay. So now that we understand a little bit more about asexuality and what it is, we want to talk a little bit more about kind of like activism and ace rights, because it's something that's very much evolving and there's a lot of work to do in terms of ace rights. So you are the founder of UK's first asexual rights initiative, which is badass. Can you tell us a (laughs) bit more about the initiative, what it does, and also how you started it? Yeah, so right now at the current phase that we're at, we are producing a report into asexual discrimination in the UK. Like that just felt like a good, you know, first step because like I know these things are happening. People in the community know these things are happening, but you you need kind of quantifiable data before anyone else is really going to care. Like you need to have it all documented and researched and then you can kind of get the ball rolling in the process of what are we going to do about it? And It kind of just started by me approaching Stonewall, who are probably like the biggest um, LGBTQ plus rights organization in Europe. It was founded. Well, one of the founders is Sir Ian McKellen, who's like one of my favorite actors of all time Um, as an X-Men and Lord of the Rings fan. I always found that really cool. Hell yeah. And they like, you know, helped to get queer inclusion in the military and um and section 28, which meant that you couldn't talk about um, homosexuality uh, within schools in the UK and, you know, civil partnerships and lesbian access to IVF and things like that. So they've kind of, they've helped to achieve a lot for lots of other groups and I knew that they were interested in being more inclusive of the ACE community, but I was kind of like, okay, well, what are you actually going to do about it? And they were like, well, we don't actually have anything on the plan right now. And I was like, okay, well, here's a plan. Here's what we can do. 
And so I kind of just talked them into it, really. And then did so much of it that they couldn't say no. Like, that was my approach with it. I love that. And now, yeah, so now we've we've kind of launched it together. It's called the Stonewall Yasin Benoit Ace Project. And as I said, we're starting with the report. And I guess the main thing that I kind of wanted to tackle was asexuality is not recognized as a sexual orientation in the Equality Act. Over here, I mean, it isn't really recognized in most places. But, but the specific way that we de- define what a sexual orientation is, it doesn't count because you have to be sexually attracted to something the it's like male or female and then that's kind of what categorizes something as a sexual orientation mm-hmm. so not being attracted to either doesn't count we're also still a medicalized orientation in under the international classification of diseases which is something that's also pretty much the same in america as well although they've made a bit more progress there what does that mean that it's a medicalized orientation um, so if you were to pretty much describe asexuality to a medical professional, you would be, they would want to treat you for it. They would not see it really? as being a sexual orientation. They would think that you have hypoactive sexual desire disorder, which pretty much means that you're not experiencing sexual desire towards other people to the appropriate degree. And thus there must be something wrong with you. I did not know that. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, and that's, is that pretty, um, is that kind of like, is that pretty global? Like even in North America, that could happen? Yeah, you have, that was in your DSM, your Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Um, I think in the latest edition or the 10th edition, they put a qualifier saying if the person identifies as asexual, don't diagnose them as that. But, you know, there's still some loopholes there if the person doesn't identify as asexual or doesn't know what that is and you can still end up in that process. So right, right. It's, it's been found over here that we're some, we are 10% more likely to be offered or to undergo conversion therapy than any other sexual orientation. And thus, that's why I was like, can we actually do something about it? Because the government's really slacking on banning conversion therapy, but they have no interest in banning it for asexual people. So, or 10% trans people. more likely, 10% more likely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So these are the kind of things I thought it would be helpful to tackle. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's I'd why say so. <laughs> and that's why I thought, okay, but we need to actually get some like data and stuff into like, into that and so I've been running like um kind of like focus groups and conducting interviews and getting like a pretty solid sample together and so hopefully by like early next year we can get that out there and begin the process of actually getting some proper legislation legislation that's amazing so can you tell us a little bit more about you were saying earlier that um asexuality isn't recognized in the uk equality act um and so that means it's not protected as a sexual orientation can you tell us a little bit more about the implications of that for asexual people in the uk but i'm sure many other places around the world yeah well it means that like for example like i have had people reach out to me and the only solution i could offer them was want to be in my research sample because i'm like you can't complain about that but like I've been discriminated against in healthcare like they won't let me have access to IVF they're making me do these things I got like I got bullied out of my job and it's like I can't like there's it's not it doesn't exist like there's nothing we can like what are you going to do say oh I got discriminated against for being asexual they're like well that's not sexuality (laughs) so there's nothing you can really you can't protect that as a characteristic if it legally isn't a protected characteristic if it isn't really recognized as existing I mean even when I was speaking to someone who in terms of like navigating healthcare and they were like we could kind of help you if you were willing to be diagnosed with an illness if you said that you're willing to consider this an illness and go through treatment then we can help you otherwise no we can't help you access IVF and it's like this 
is it wild that this is still happening in 2022 and no one's thought this is weird and no one's thought to do anything about this? So yeah, because if this exact thing was happening for people who identify as lesbian, it it wouldn't be okay. There would be protests. Legislation would be passed. And we've gotten there, like in terms of like IVF and things like that. And in the UK, I mean, conversion therapy still isn't banned here, but most people know, like if you encounter someone and you're a doctor and they say, and it's a guy that says, I'm sexually attracted to men, they won't say, oh, well, you're probably sickening from something and we're going to need to put you through psychosexual therapy. Like you wouldn't get that. But if you said that for asexuality, they would be like, okay, well, that's what we're going to do. And it doesn't matter what you actually go into healthcare to discuss it's better just to avoid mentioning that you're asexual because if you do, then that could throw your whole treatment off, of course. Oh my God. I, I'm a little bit mind blown right now. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the biggest challenges and misconceptions are that asexual people face? You just named a ton, but is there kind of like, are there any overarching misconceptions that you feel like constantly asexual people are coming up against? I mean, I feel like the kind of overarching theme is just that there must be something physically or mentally wrong with you. And that it is like the side effect of something or it's been impacted by something negative. Like I see that it's a chemical imbalance or hormone imbalance, something biologically wrong with you, or it's a mental disorder or it's PTSD. It's the side effect of some kind of traumatic experience, or maybe you just have no empathy or no sense of human connection. And Mm. that's why you're not experiencing sexual attraction because that's like the epitome of human connection, apparently. Yeah. And then, or they just assume that it's, you know, maybe you got, maybe you're just, I don't know, very unattractive. And so you're just using that as an excuse, or you think you're too good for anybody and you're using that as an excuse. You have a bad personality or you're just prude or you're frigid or you're anti-sex or it's some kind of personality related flaw. Right. So it all just kind of ties back to it must be some kind of flaw that you can overcome with the right mindset. So so you said what I've been trying to kind of figure out in the back of my mind this entire conversation is like, what is it that makes sexual attraction something that is so yeah quote unquote human like such a human experience or something that we biologically have to have that makes asexuality seem um, implausible to some people and what you said earlier like that apparently it's the epitome of human connection is sexual attraction where do you think that comes from do you think it's just the fact that like you know we need to evolutionarily have babies like what is it that makes sexual attraction and sex something that is seen in society as inherently human you know I mean I think it's kind of like a combination of things I think like it's kind of like the combined influences of lots of different things I think that you could kind of root it back to like you know religion you know like it's a biological imperative to reproduce like that is why you're on this planet um therefore sexual attraction is important for that but also don't experience it too much otherwise then you're being lustful hit or miss there catch 22 Um, and then also you know (laughs) you can take the scientific route and you could be like you know those that are very big on like evolutionary theory would say that you know between a man and a woman very important everyone should be hardwired to do that anyone that is not you know a man sexually attracted to a woman or a woman sexually attracted to a man is doing something wrong but then I also think that when you kind of get past like those theories into a kind of more sociological space I think you could kind of link it to like Sigmund Freud who for someone that has some really wacky ideas <laughs> the influence <laughs> of his stuff is still like very much apparent and he always had these ideas about you know 
sexual repression and this idea that you know if you're not experiencing something then there must be some kind of darker reason as to why and how there's like a normal degree to experience things and that you know not expressing that like there's something wrong with that and I think then that kind of carried on over into like you know the kind of idea of sexual liberation that we got in like the 70s and like the sexual revolution and this idea that you know you don't want being repressed again is bad you need to be expressing your sexuality in a very particular way otherwise you're just like not a fully liberated person and I think that we're still kind of in that space I feel like as a culture we tend to swing really far one way or really far the other it's either don't talk about sex at all or make it the biggest deal ever and I think we're kind of swung back to a biggest deal ever phase and then it will probably go back into the middle somewhere for a bit. I don't think we should swing all the way back the other way, but I think that there is, that that's kind of where we're at. And consequently, people don't really understand where asexuality fits into the conversation when we're kind of at the stage of feeling like, you know, if you talk about that, then it's like repressing the conversations or setting it back again. So I think that's kind of where that comes from. But that's just my theory. <laughs> it sounds accurate. I think, I think it's so many things mixed together, um, but it's really fascinating. I think anyone listening right now who feels the same way I do, like a little bit kind of like, yeah, mind blown and upset at the misconceptions and the challenges that you're talking about, you've actually given um, a lot of awesome tips about how to be a good ace ally on your pages, through your content. But for anyone listening, can you share some of those tips for how to be a better ace ally with our listeners? I mean, I feel like, you know, there's a basic one stuff like, you know, do some research, like, you know, educate yourself, like there's resources and stuff online, especially things that are actually like written by asexual people would be preferable to look at because other places do get it wrong. Don't place so much emphasis on experiencing sexual attraction in a specific way, because I think people, especially like within the queer community, they kind of unintentionally do that. Like they kind of lean into the, you know, this is like, I guess, you know, to counteract all of these ideas that we've all heard that you know it's unnatural and like all those things so they kind of lean really hard into this is natural this is what everybody's doing it'd be weird if we weren't doing it and in turn actually really alienate a whole group of people that actually don't feel that way in a bid to empower those that do and yes and so I feel like we could find a healthy like middle ground in the middle where it's like you know express your sexuality as much or as little as you want and that's fine like you don't have to be like you know 110 about everything yeah. and yeah, I think that's a great point. We talk a lot on the pod about how queerness is intersectional and that's great, but a lot of times that actually can cause issues for the exact reason you just said. One group within the umbrella is very vocal about something that actually suppresses the other group um, and invalidates their experience. So just being as open-minded and as thoughtful and educated as possible um, can help to stop that from happening. And I think also just like taking the time to kind of dissect your own sexual orientation because I think often people are like okay sexuality like I can't quite wrap my head around that like I don't see how that makes sense because you can't really picture you know what it would be like just to like not experience sexual attraction towards anybody but I think that when you kind of learn to unpack your own experiences a bit more like understanding the differences between you know sexual attraction romantic attraction libido and like drive and desire and like how all, all these things interact but are also kind of separate if you apply that to yourself more then I think it becomes inherently easier to understand asexuality and see how it can exist in different forms because I think that when you've kind of when you 
get a label so quickly and you're kind of able to just attach yourself to that some people don't really feel the need to analyze their sexuality much more after that because they're like okay I've got the word like I know I'm gay I know I'm bi like that's it we're good but then it's like well is your romantic orientation also leading that way like how does that develop like is it secondary is it primary like you know what about you know libido or this like all these other things people don't really you know ask themselves that because they're like well I've got the word so right everything is encompassed in the word but as you said earlier everyone experiences sexual attraction differently like every single person's sexuality is different so if once you kind of start to like think more about that then all of the things that kind of come up when you're talking about asexuality I think make a lot more sense because we've just had to analyze ourselves a lot and I think everyone else could do with doing that. Exactly. Well. That's great advice. And for anyone listening who thinks they might be asexual, but they're not sure yet, they're kind of exploring what that label might look like. Do you have any advice for them? I mean, my my advice is always like, don't worry about it too much. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I feel that. like some people get really hung up on the word and they're like, do I, do I fit the word instead of does the word fit me? And like, I'll get people who message me all the time and they're like I'm questioning like I want to be you know I want to be asexual I feel like that's the word for me but I feel this and I feel this and and I'm like is it helpful in articulating your experience yes or no because if not then like it's not compulsory to like there is no actual right amount of sexual attraction to experience like if you feel like it's helpful to articulate yourself as saying I'm on the a spectrum I fall into this area if that's useful totally do that but don't feel like oh my gosh I haven't had sex in in five months does that mean and I haven't been worried about it like what does this mean for me mm-hmm. does my label change Am I part of a different community now like mm-hmm. would it be useful if you were if not then no like you know it's not I, I know I feel like where we've become very much inclined to feel like we like it's a need that we have to be able to explain and articulate this and always fall within a category but unless it's helpful really don't worry about it take the pressure (laughs) off take the pressure off which is easier said than done because society puts a lot of pressure on us like most of that is society being like okay what's wrong with you air quotes guys what's wrong with you you need to define it and I also feel like sometimes people, we just put a lot of pressure on ourselves, especially when you're kind of already within the queer community, finding your label and micro labels and, you know, am I a lipstick lesbian? Am I this kind of lesbian? Mm. Life? Like all these different things that we just love to kind of put on each other, regardless of how helpful it is. And I feel like we're, sometimes we're a little over-reliant on these. And I think, is it helping us articulate something about ourselves or is it just a little tribalistic? Like totally. unless it's useful, you don't actually need to do it like it's not compulsory in your experience to have to be able to name everything like it's okay to just be like I'm just seeing what happens and yeah that's fine (laughs) that's great advice that's great advice Yasmin thank you so much for teaching us all these things I honestly we would love to have you back to talk even more about all of this because I think there's so much developing and even with what you're doing with the initiative like there's going to be more legislation passed down the line hopefully and it's kind of like developing and we just want to keep being um allies to the ace community in whatever way we can so thank you so much for teaching us for sharing your experience and being vulnerable and being honest and um is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners before we say goodbye um I guess, you know, if, you, if you're if you interested, you can find me at the Yasmin Benoit on Instagram and Twitter. My website is yasminbenoit.co.uk. And if you just Google me, things will come up if you want to learn more stuff. Things will come up. Yasmin's the real deal, guys. 
<laughs> just Google and you will see everything and the amazing model shots. Like you are absolutely killing it. We're so grateful for your time. Um, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Just a quick trigger warning before we get into in case you missed it. There is some discussion around rape. Um, so if that is something that you're not really comfortable with hearing and it's triggering for you, you do not need to listen to this section of in case you missed it. That is totally okay. And we love you guys. This week's In Case You Missed It is very upsetting and very scary for me personally and for lots and lots of people. In case you guys hadn't heard yet, Indonesia's parliament has just passed a sweeping new criminal code that bans anyone in the country from having extramarital sex, not just locals, but foreigners as well. So if you're vacationing in Indonesia with your partner and you're not married and you have sex, you could be subject to up to a year or more jail time. Oh my God. Yes, it's in, it's insane. We wanted to talk about this because it's really shocking and has a lot of implications, especially though for the queer community. This law will target the queer community because gay marriage is illegal in Indonesia. I've been reading a lot of a lot of stuff about how this law is horrible in and of itself, but it is going to be used against people. It like people are going to take full advantage of this law to discriminate against others, as well as banning sex outside of marriage. Here are some of the other new rules that are involved in this legislation. Okay, unmarried couples are banned from living together. Can't even live together. Oh. Can't live together. Insulting the president becomes a criminal offense. Okay, that's just random. Expressing views counter to national ideology is also banned. Whoa. Another, another thing to note is that for prosecutions to start, a complaint must be filed by the children, parents, or spouse of the accused couple. Hmm. So you can only go to jail if your child, parent, or spouse rats on you for having extramarital sex it says here a, that's weird I'm, i think i'm gonna pronounce this wrong a zhang i think a 28 year old muslim woman living in the west java city of Depok, said she was now at risk for living with her partner for the past five years with the new law both of us can go to jail if one of the family decides to make a police report mm. she told the bbc what if there's one family member who has a problem with me and decides to send me to jail? Right. Okay. That's so interesting. And that's going to like turn people against each other. Yeah. Um, these new laws come as we're seeing a rise in religious conservatism in the Muslim majority country and are seen by critics as a disaster for human rights. The laws have also constituted protests from mainly young people and are expected to be challenged in court, of course. And... This is obviously going to be like an ongoing story. I'm sure the protests are going to cre hopefully create some sort of enough backlash to maybe change the legislation. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I've never seen a law like this. I'm sure this law exists. I, I don't know. That's that's a question. Maybe if anyone knows, does this type of law exist in any other countries? Because Indonesia, the Muslim community there is is quite prominent and has been a part of um, a lot of the like newsworthy things that have been happening in Indonesia over the <clears throat> Indonesia over the last two decades, including the bombings. Um, mm-hmm. But I have never heard of a country with this rule. And there's lots of countries that are like Iran, for example, that are extremely like conservative in this way. Mm-hmm. So it's just shocking. I've never seen something like this. I'm going to Indonesia next year. That must, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel really scared. Like I don't have control over my own body and my own choices, Mm -hmm. which is a fear that our neighbors to the South have because of the abortion ban. I I feel the same way as I felt about the abortion ban. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you're taking away my rights to what I want to do with my own body. And I'm just thinking about all the couples who are going to Bali for a romantic vacation. And if they're caught having sex... And they're not married. And they're not married. Um, they could go to jail for a year. But here's my question about this, though, too. Would it, let's say you're vacationing with your partner in Bali and you two get caught. If they're saying that a family member needs to file a police report, would they most likely be okay? Just assuming your family or if you have a child or someone associated with you would not file a police report? Well, so I'm wondering that too because I didn't actually know about that rule. But I think what I was saying about people taking advantage of this law, it seems like the kind of legislation that could be really easily, like the rules could be thrown out the window. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like someone catches you having sex with your partner it's not a family member, but they find a way to bring it yeah. forward to the police. And you know what I'm saying? Like these things can get really murky. And I just it does that doesn't make me feel any safer, I don't think. And yeah, I am traveling to Indonesia by myself, but it's just like I it's just unfathomable that I wouldn't be able to do what I wanted to do in that country. In that in that entire country. Yeah. A whole country a whole ass country. So while I'm in their borders, it's illegal for me to like have control over my own body. Yeah. So we're obviously concerned about what this means for queer people in Indonesia, queer people visiting and queer people living there. So it's a developing story. We'll keep talking about it. Obviously, there's going to be protests and we hope the legislation changes. But if you're planning to go to Indonesia or you are Indonesian and you're feeling really scared or upset, like feel free to reach out to us. I'm heading to Indonesia as well. So I feel you guys. Yeah. I'm so and also Sarah like sending you like so much love and just be safe of course. I mean, even for you to do this trip is like a very big it's going to be a very big eye-opening experience of course. There are so many things we're learning about what's going on in different countries and it's not good news. You know, so I don't know, all you can hope for is change. I just don't know how these stupid laws keep like happening. Yeah, yeah. It's it's shocking. I'm scared. But honestly, if you were thinking of going to Indonesia anytime soon with a partner, if it were me, I might actually not. I mean, 
this is just me. I would maybe not go. I would just be way too scared to risk it. Or we just agree that we don't have sex for the entire trip. Yeah, but also sometimes it, it is a scary feeling to to still go with your partner. I, I think if it was me too, I'd probably just say let's not go there. Yeah, like imagine you and your partner go to Bali and you check into a hotel room that you obviously are staying in together. Even the act of checking in, I'm like, well, the the person at the hotel desk now knows that we're going to be in the room together and like, you know what I mean? Like who knows, right? Like even just staying in the same room at an yeah. accommodation scares me. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like if it's a queer couple, I'll, you know. It's well, I think travel, traveling to Indonesia as a queer person is already pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's. I was talking to my one friend who had gone to Madrid with her partner and they yeah. had to pretend like they were sisters. It's just so, there's so many things and like limits you feel like as a queer person being like, I, I can't travel to this place. Right? So. Totally, totally. And being a woman, being yeah. someone who identifies as a woman. I saw something else that was talking about the implications of this law for rape victims. Oh. You know what I mean? Rape, yeah. if you get raped, you could absolutely be subject to being charged for this and going to yeah. jail. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. really scary. And we're not we're not trying to scare y'all. We're just trying to keep you informed. Um, and this one hits close to home for me personally as someone who's planning to travel there. So I'll keep you guys posted on my travels there. That's going to be like a, a ways away still. But but yeah, let's just all keep keep chatting about it and keep fighting for our rights. Yes, we have to continue doing that. And also, I know sometimes sharing these stories on social might not always feel like we're doing a lot. I definitely sometimes feel like when I'm sharing something in my story, I'm like, what is this doing? Totally. But in fact, it is helping. It's mm-hmm. continuing to spread awareness and getting more people's eyes on it. Because even Sarah shared this with me and I didn't know, right? And I'm like, oh my God, now that's on my radar and I'm going to be like, you know, letting other people know and trying to like get people on board. Yeah. And there's so many people traveling in the next few months to Indonesia specifically. It's just the perfect time to travel there. COVID is dying down, et cetera. So, you know, there's going to be a big wave of tourists. So the more people who know the law, the more safe they can be. I'm definitely going to be extremely cautious when I'm there.